When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today, what I will say is, I like to, I was actually thinking about this earlier on today when I was um, getting ready to get all my stuff together. And what I would say, this guy is Mr. Consistent. You know, when you always have a team and you always rely on one player who's always going to give you that solid performance. I think my next guest is somebody like that who's been um, a real feature of UK uh, Pongra, and I, I mean this in the most respectful terms, like a proper unsung hero of uh, of this kind of a servant of, of UK, uh, UK Pongra and folk music. Um, and on that note, I'd like to introduce uh, Amo from Chaos Productions. Welcome. How are you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Do you think that was a fair intro? <laughs> I think so. You know what? When you said uh, consistent, I was going to say, yo, I'm the most inconsistent guy. I hardly release anything. You know what I mean? Uh, but, you know, if I do release something, I'll try to make it something you're proud of. And that means you keep going back and redoing stuff and that takes longer and longer. But then I see what you mean by consistency. If you're, if you're talking about quality, I try and do my best. Um, having a background in music means if it's anything less, it won't be good for you. Forget about anybody else until it, it reaches that point. Uh, do, you think people, do, you, do you think people sleep on your catalogue? Because, uh, you know, as I was going through... Yeah, your, your, you know what happened? Music. I say what happened was we were... say I say we, it was me and my younger brother before. Um, now he's off doing his work now, so it's just me. But we were very bad at selling ourselves um, per se. I mean, this, this game changed in that era, you know, 2009, when Chaos Productions came about. That's when things became more visual and, and it became more to do of make your profile online and sell yourself and put your shop window there. And we were very bad at that kind of thing because uh, we kept getting, the, you know, there's a line between selling your brand and being egotistical and bumping yourself up. Yeah. And we were so aware of that line, we stayed too far back from it. So it was like, even me telling people, oh, I did this album, I did this uh, uh, remix album, I did that single, I felt like I'm just doing too much meh, meh, meh. And it started working against us because to a certain degree, if we're not going to tell anybody who is, right? Um, so in that scenario, we've got a lot of work out there, but it is scattered. It's not in. It's not our work per se. It's like stuff we've done for other people. 
So it's more like a little treasure hunt <laughs> to go and look for what these guys have produced. Yeah, because I think that's it. I think I think you know when you talk about 2009, it's like you, yeah. your journey actually starts late 80s, to be honest. Uh, and, yeah. and you yeah. know, so like I'd your... say yes, I'd say maybe a little bit before that in terms of music. Um, but it's been long, man. <laughs> it's definitely and, and and that's what I mean. It's just like when you like I get exactly what you say. Like your musical catalog and your involvement is that little bit of a treasure hunt game. It goes, yeah. it goes. You got to go. You got to know where to go. I think that's it. That's it. That's a big point. Yeah, I, I think it makes it interesting. There's a lot of people that's even now. Oh, I didn't know you made that. Oh, I didn't know you did this. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know this and this because we went to. I just come back from California, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Fremont, that was we had a family wedding there. I'm not gonna bump it up and say it was out on tour or anything yet. You might as well, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was a family wedding. And I went back to I say back to Fremont. We was there in the early 90s, me and my dad. I was playing double eye and he was singing. And after 30 plus years, I'm going back to the exact same place. And it's it's kind of weird because I was there as a musician before that was just a double R player. Um, in a different, totally different scene, the Dharmic scene. And now 30 years on, I'm doing the Bhangra stuff and I've gone there sort of with a different mindset, um, sitting in the same hall. And it's it's weird sometimes, you know, I, I like to, I, recently what I've learned is uh, with, with what's been going on is just make the most of that moment. You know, don't rush through it because then you'll be like, oh, that was good what we did back then. or Because now we're so fond of our old memories but when we lived that time, we didn't make the most of the feeling, you know, the feeling you get. You didn't really fully appreciate it because you took, we took it for granted. Like everybody learns as they get older that, you know, things change all the time. And now what I do is I kind of take it all in. So I took a little walk around the grounds of the Gordona myself. It was like behind the child, you know what I mean? Yeah. I was just around the car park, just taking it all in, man. And trying to sort of, in my head, say, you know, that's where I was and this is where life's brought me and my buddy's blessings. And, you know, it's just one of them ones. Sometimes you do have these moments where you revisit the exact same thing uh, as a different person. I would say I'm a totally different person. Yeah, I mean, like, I've also noticed you kind of your social media in the, in the last sort of 12 months, 18 months. Is, yeah. You get very much more philosophical, you know, you coming out with your quotes kind of and. I could sense there's been a shift change. I could be totally wrong, but I just could see that there was, there was another level of evolution of what, of what you were saying, mainly as a, probably as a human, really not related to any kind of the music or anything, especially kind of, I mean, you just touched on it again, through COVID, was there something during that period that just kind of triggered for you? I just think mine probably started a little bit before that even. Um, and it just came naturally as you realise that what we do is not the most important thing in the world. There's doctors out there fighting for people's lives. There's people on the front line in every way, shape or form. There's so many more important careers and things. And we live in a little bubble thinking we're so important, but that's when your ego kicks in. Yes, we do, we're artists. Well, artists, it, it, by definition, it means you've got an art form. You, you're giving the world your art, but you shouldn't get carried away with that. And think that's the only thing in the world um so i managed to take a couple of steps back and realize that there's a lot more important stuff going on um and a lot of it matters way more than what we do but 
also it puts you in a position where you can use that to not put more pressure on yourself. You see what I'm saying? Because a lot of people get stressed out in the music game, especially uh, the really successful people because you set your bar there. Now, anything under that, people see that as a failure. They won't even see it as, oh, Jal Guini next time. They will start cussing you out in seconds. And this, mm. is, this is the world we live in. So if you've delivered, like they say, getting up there is the easy part. Staying up there is hard. Even getting up there is not easy. But it's the how this pressure gets self-generated in your brain. And you've got to find a release. You've got to find a way of taking that away. Do you feel the um, the music industry is mature enough, especially what I would say, this is probably the second uh, second cycle of musicians, singers, producers, everything, no matter what, um, you know, going through that kind of, probably coming towards the end of their, their careers and on the way down, because everything's peaks and troughs. Yeah. Do you think that the industry is mature enough to have that kind of approach, what you've kind of experienced? I mean, it's an individual thing, right? I mean... There is no like industry psyche, no collective sort of mindset. Everybody's got their way of working and a way of making sense of things. Um, I've never been one of the chasers, you know, the rat race, being in the fast lane, trying to get ahead of everybody. Um, you know, these quotes, um, a lot of them I see and I can relate to, a lot of them I can't relate to. I think quotes is a bit of a thing now as well that every few days somebody thinks, oh, I better post something now. So they just pull out a quote from somewhere. So I try and sort of write stuff that's in my mind anyway. So even it might be somebody's quote, but you just adapt it to yourself and the way you think. And if it relates to you, then yeah, repost it or just write it in your own way kind of thing. Um, but the, but the, other, the other bit with that is as well, I know, I know what you're saying. Um, you have the algorithm part of the social media that if you're not yeah. providing and putting any content, you already start slipping down. So it's like a double-edged sword. Yeah, well, then that comes back to what I'm saying to you. I've never been in that fast mm. lane chasing. I don't really care about that because that whole system's designed to keep you engaged, right? This mm. It's an engagement game, right from the creator to the user. Um, yeah, I don't know if you saw The Social Dilemma on Netflix. I um, haven't on purpose because otherwise my wife would take my phone off me. For <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that opens your eyes, man. The people who are designed these things told tell you exactly what they were thinking and what they were trying to do. Uh, as soon as I watched that, I'd, I switched all my notifications off on every uh, social media app. Just to say that's a small victory, take control back okay it controls you whenever it keeps beeping and you keep thinking oh who's like my post who's who's commented what they're saying blah, blah, blah. you switch it off um psychologically you you get you won a small battle there because it's up to me now when i'm going to check it you look you know keep saying what you want do what you want i'll pick the phone up when i want to i just think everybody needs a little exercise every now and then in, in get letting go of these devices mm. putting them down which is what i try to do uh, in America too and just not interact but sooner or later you slip back into it I did the same man mm. you slip back into it you post one thing it was my birthday when it was out there so a lot of people sending messages then you feel oh, it's going to be rude if you blank them and then you post a couple of things and you're back in that cycle again but again there's a good side bad side good side it connects you with anybody and everybody there were so many people that were sending messages to say oh you're in California I see my much on there you know where are you um, that's blessed because that wouldn't happen any other way. 
Um, but also you've got to be very mindful about living in a virtual world versus what's directly around you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a balanced thing, isn't it? Everybody's got to find that line for themselves. I've been talking about the kind of your, your life. I want to take it back, really, in terms of like um, your your relationship with music. What was a young um, Amo like? Shy man, quiet, shy, very observant, like a sponge, absorbing everything, including behaviors and and people skills. And my earliest memory musically was uh, you know the the VHS videos. Uh, the VHS videotape, most of the early kind of like three hours of VHS recordings and just putting that on and just like sitting on the sofa. Seti on DC, not a sofa. Yeah, Seti. Was that the one that used to open and also used to be a bed? Yeah, yeah. it had the storage. Yeah, it had the storage under it. That's yeah. where your 30 relatives used to sleep That's when they came like around. A bed, Seti. Yeah. Uh, Bloody, it used to be that even when the kids used to play on it because it'd be like a trampoline everything basically it was everything, everything. Man, all in one I was very resourceful back then and I was just used to sit there kind of swinging to the beat like this is probably what seven six seven years old mm. and I think that's where I found my rhythm I'm pretty sure because I was mesmerized by the tabla that was started Hussain who was tabla player for Nusuf the Ali Khan his rhythm was just going and going and that was for me, it was just that. It was like you you can switch off and go off into your own world. You didn't know at that age what's going on. Uh, but that was my earliest sort of interaction musically. And was uh, that your first instrument that you started to play? Was it Tabla, the- yeah. It was because my dad uh, sings Dharmak, still does, for odd years in his field. And he he obviously thought, keep it in the family, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he... And he used to like have record, like he used to record and have things actually kind of published to that as well. Yeah, like in the mid eighties, he recorded his first album called Ikdal Hebabinani, which came out on EMI. If you remember, EMI was a big company yeah. back then, and they had like physical offices and stuff in London. So, and and uh, for those who don't know, before streams and everything, it was units. People used to sell physical copies of cassettes. And they shifted quite a lot then because that was the only way to get music. Uh, so it wasn't like, you know, there's any other way. People used to go out there and buy them. Um, and they were available in the shops. Even the Dharmic stuff, uh, Oriental Star released with my dad. And so Khalid Malik, so that's a later thing, but even he was involved in that. Uh, but even like I say, the Dharmic scene, in the UK music, there was almost like two things going on. And I was involved in that one and everybody else that comes on your uh, podcast is involved in the other one. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the stories about how everybody used to go out gigging and da, da, da. At that point, I was like, oh, I'm not allowed to do that. But I used to rub shoulders with Pomala uh, Uncle, Abbasigi, uh, and other bands, uh, Roshni Group and that, because we used to work in the same studios. Uh, so somebody's finished a session, they're walking out, you're walking in, but you're doing your dynamic stuff. And that was a little glimpse into that. Oh, there's that other world going on. So you're already having this battle of like religion versus culture already. Well, yeah. your music. I think for me, it wasn't in those words. It was just, oh, beats and bass lines versus double R dolgi because our religious music back then, we were not permitted to do 
you know, Dre type beats and bass lines because uh, it was, people would be very offended uh, back then if you made Bangla music into, uh, sorry, Dharmic music into club music. Uh, but back then it would have been like, no, this is melody stuff. So I was more, oh, I'm dying to do reggae and I'm dying to do but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. stuff. But holy, holy, I started creeping it in. Yeah. And, <laughs> and funnily enough, they were like, oh, this is good. <laughs> so, but what's up? Can I have on that? I didn't yeah. get to check a cat on any Dalam Dave or anything. Nah, like Turbo ranks. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't take it that far. So I think it's within the limits. But when I used to play double line on stage as well, I used to go there as just a musician rather than to be honest with you, rather than on a spiritual basis, I used to go there thinking, oh, I'm going to bang the double on today. So I used to hear the other Jata playing and think, oh, I'm going to play better than him. You know, as a kid, you're an idiot, right? You're just competitive. You might be good, you might be rubbish, but you've got that mindset, you have that passion, that fire. So I used to go on the on the stage and just try and hit the hardest beats I could hit. And people people was like nodding in the corner. I was like, this is cool, man. So, <laughs> so- I was listening to one of your uh, interview a couple of years back with Sat uh, Sat Man, yeah. uh, who's yeah. been on on the on the bandwagon as well, um, and he was talking. Uh, and your first experience was a chance encounter at a no show at a studio. Yeah, also. yeah. Um, okay, studio. Yeah, so that experience then, you know, like from getting in there, was that your first recording that where you actually played on, played on a on a song? Yeah, absolutely. And at that point in time, that exact moment in time, I couldn't play keys. I was a double up player per se, and that was that. So, what uh, was the story? Just before you go, what was the what was the bit of the background for those people who don't don't know? Yeah, that? so my dad, he was avid uh, uh, collector of Dharmic uh, audio and video. So all the top jate from back in the days, uh, who's who, he's got everything. Even now, I've got hundreds of tapes in the garage. And he had booked a Tandi Jata to come and record at the studio. And they, they didn't turn up and we were getting billed. It was £10 an hour back then, which was a lot back then. Still. Yeah. And that was the same studio I find out much many years later that uh, Buta Jagpa recorded the uh, Tolla, the first version in. Um, and it was uh, Roshni Group's guitar player, John, who owned that studio in Warsaw. And again, I found all this out later. I'm sure ADH sang the song in this studio in Warsaw as well. well <laughs> I think it was a bit of a go-to studio, you know. Um, so we were there and time sticking away, they didn't turn up and John knew my dad sings and that. So he said, we, you know, why don't you? Um, we just looked at each other and said, how are we going to do this? Like, we ain't got a clue what we're doing. But he was like, I would credit him as my first teacher. Was, he was like a guitarist himself. So at, at that point, um, operating a studio and playing an instrument was completely different skill set. You had to be highly qualified to be a studio engineer. You know, when you see these videos with Dre and that, and you see thousands of buttons and things, it was that kind of setup uh, where if you haven't got a clue what you're doing, you literally won't be able to find the on button for the studio. Um, so that was his forte. And because he had musical knowledge too, he was a band member, he was like, you can play. So here, I'll change the sounds on the keyboard for you, just try and play a bit. So we just managed to put something together like that. And that put us on this kind of path of producing albums. Uh, that was my first taste of a recording studio. 
but alongside a engineer. Um, to this day, I have no idea what he was doing with all these switches and cables and everything. I was doing my thing, going in the booth. And I was saying on other, I've said on other interviews as well, that was of a time where you had to play the whole thing. Um, no, just one take, bang. One take, start to finish, which put you in a really good practice state because you would be ready. Uh, because there was no, oh, let's do about two bars and cut and paste. There was no concept of cut and paste. There was no software in the studio. There was no screens. We weren't looking at, we were listening to it. So it was a different, different vibe together. I actually, I actually struggled to look at music like it's done now visually because I was just, it was alien to me. Everything was just done uh, by, by ear, which is the only way I knew. What what other difficulties did you used to get in, in when you were recording like that? Because in terms of having like a master or something along those lines, how difficult was it? Yeah, we the mastering was done on reel to reel, so it was like these huge. I mean, people have seen them spinning tapes, mm. so it was like two inch tape. Um, the difficulties in that is if you're not a band, like in my case, I was having to play each and every sound on there, and not having not having cut and paste technology, everything that was played, every piece, every repeat of that piece had to be played in live. So you have to go through the song. Then you were limited. Well, you, we didn't know it was a limitation. Then we had 16 channels, so you can only put 16 instruments in there. Um, at that point, that's all we knew was possible. And now obviously there's so many more ways of doing things. And um, But having to do it, going through the song every single time from start to finish, getting it exactly right. And then, you know, building this stack of, of sonic, of, of, of audio, it was like at some point it was coming to, oh, that's wrong now, I have to go back and do that again. So mm-hmm. when you were like that, oh, I have to do it all again. So it, it, was, a, it was a labor of love, man. It's hard work. Um, but at that, at that point in time, it didn't seem that hard work because it was the only method, you know, it's what everybody else did. So um, obviously, the, you know, in, especially in that area with the, with the, in the Dharmic scene is what you're saying. So like you were learning off, who was like, who was your stars and who was your dad's stars as well? So my dad was learning of Gyan Yindaji Singh of Derby and Gyan Singh Sajit of Gravesend, um, who was blind, but he was one of the most accomplished guys in Dharmic music and um, they used to do their thing the Gurdwaras and we did as well and dad learned a lot of those guys my I didn't like I said I had John and apart from that my chacha from DCS used to, the original DCS you know the one two three go DCS mm. my chacha Zamo Sangeri used to play double up for them um, he showed me the ABC of how to put your hands on a double up with basic beats and that after that, it was just a case of there's a seed you planted inside you. You just watch other people. We didn't have a YouTube system where you can watch videos and copy people at home. But if you're out there in a stage, or like I said, there's nothing. That's a really good uh, tip. What I used to do is nothing's layer is rhythm so good. So if you want to practice double, I just put that on. And those qualities are really long as well. 
So yeah. like 20 minutes, yeah. <laughs> mate, your arms are gonna hurt. <laughs> yeah. I even get that on YouTube when you're watching some of his live performances and stuff, and then you know yeah. you're used to a really washed down version. If you're lucky nowadays if a song is three minutes, yeah, yeah. And then you see some of his stuff, it's like 14 minutes, 21 minutes, and you're like, yeah, wow. And then you you do it's almost it's almost hypnotic in it, you know. Hypnotic, you yeah, 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 exactly. So that was a perfect practicing stuff, you know. You just put that on, play along with it. You know, your arms start feeling like they're going to drop off. <laughs> you're building stamina, you're building strength. And, and that's how, I think, style-wise, for me, after John, there really wasn't anybody. It was just like, just look, keep absorbing it like a sponge. I never, I never learnt music. To this day, I haven't. Uh, if anybody starts asking me questions about classical or about you know, the, the the written form of music, I'll be like, sorry, mate, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing about you. Yeah, I'll be straight up, that's me. But if I hear a bomb note, I'll tell you straight away, that's mm. off. Um, I'm going I'm to try and plot your your the, the career that we talked about through different yeah. many angles. And so I want <laughs> you to guide me as the best you can, yeah. You, yeah. you touched on a little bit about Monik and stuff, and I want you to go into that a little bit now because... He's a very common theme in in, in my relationship yeah. with you as well with some of yeah. your 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 releases later on. So I'll just give the hint now, so people kind of carry on listening, like case of base, Mikey, all these things. Yeah, yeah. is that bad boy? Um, did you play? Did you manage him very early on in your career? If he was coming towards it, did you play on any of his early tracks? When he, oh, uh, no. of your early track, when his he was involved, I was considered too young to be involved, really. Mm. Um, he used to come, you know. I always remember they used to do the small gigs, you know, the community centers. Yeah. Um, so uh, they used to come to do a few shows here in Derby, a few local small towns. Um, they even did pub gigs and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I know. Um, the, so where I was living, well, born and raised in Hansworth, there was a pub on the corner called the New Inns, right yeah. there opposite Upper Videos. Yeah, and he used to do quite a lot of gigs there as well. So I remember yeah. like my dad going, a young a young guy going there, um, yeah. you know, telling me stories of what what was going, what what it was like. Obviously, I weren't yeah. born there at that time. Well, actually, technically, I was yeah. So yeah. he used to um, used to go and see. So I, I I'm pretty familiar with his pub circuit. Yeah, so they had no more than about three musicians with them. That's all it was. There was a keyboard player, um, a mandolin player, and a double R player from. From that setup, from when my dad got involved with him, I mean, obviously that was chopping and changing. I mean, even Sidney Skander was on harmonia with Khalid Malik before he sang. So they used to come with about two, three people and then do these commuter centre vibes. Um, and they were just considered ordinary singers. Now, if you look at it from our perspective, we thought the same. We was like, these guys are singers from India. And I wasn't an avid folk music fan back then. I didn't know what this guy was and the guy I'm talking about somebody who was sleeping in our house so at that point I didn't know the legacy he would go on to create and he was creating at that time anyway uh, and plus you're, you're at the age where you just want to go out with your mates you're not really <laughs> I mean, you know, there's some singers out there and yeah cool I'm stepping out yeah I'll see you later yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was um when he got he he got friend he became friends with my dad, and it was almost like because um, my dad's Amal Tari, it was like a safe zone for Greek Malik or Mindabi Why? Because you go anywhere else, people were offering money to say oh uh, because they knew Anigalasi Abloni all night. 
गाने गवाई जाने आ राइट सो दे वुड डू देयर स्टेज थिंग व्हिच इन देम डेज वी वर टॉकिंग आवर्स एंड आवर्स ऑफ सिंगिंग लाइव ऑन द हाई कीज यू सीन द वीडियोस मैन पीपल कांट डू दैट नाउ व्हाट दीस गाइस वर डूइंग एंड द स्टैमिना इट टेक्स टू डू दैट सो फॉर देम इट वाज लाइक या वी डू नॉट थिंक uh in derby was like let's go and they used to come there just a bunch of them all piling the musicians get the setting out open the setting out <laughs> they came in handy then yeah was <laughs> uh, then doing their thing we were just kids man we were just oh there's some visitors around it was just nothing out of the ordinary and then my dad was like oh I want you to sing on my albums as well do your songs as well so he got involved with that way because between the shows they had nothing to do So believe it or not three musicians Gleep Marnik with that they'd make a full Dalmak album in about 4 to 5 days about eight songs 10 songs boom start to finish done musically mixed mastered whatever you want to call it all done in about 5 days and again it's just seeing it is at that point it was nothing out of the ordinary to us because it was oh this must be how they do it Now we know it's like that's some extraordinary talent, right? But back then it was like this is just normal. Um, to watch them in action, obviously the the guys just sit there, the mandolin guy sit there, keyboard guy make the pieces within seconds. Okay, boom, record it out of there. Really, all I do is think of the chord out of there. They were doing what I said to you before, because obviously my solo mission came after this phase. this is when they were doing this three four guys they were all just to 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 know what they're doing giving each other ideas and knocking them out of the park like it was nothing and um, how old were you at this point then amor i think i'm going to have to give you an estimate really i reckon i was about 16 17 then when i saw mm. so that going on i want to ask a really naive and silly question at this bit point of, uh, at this bit right so you know like from your from Actually, you sorry you, sorry let me hold let me hold you there 1670s when I started doing this so this is probably 15 or 14 around there 14 15 so, so like you know for like what I was going to ask you was you know once they've made this album they've done it what like from at this point of view I only know it from like a podcasting point of view what how you do distribution or where you got to edit you got to do all of these things like yeah. how what was the journey from it being in the bed in in the room where it's been recorded to actually yeah. like how do you source the material the cassettes the how do you do all of that bit to for it to be yeah. distributed so uh, as far as i remember there was duplicates um so this was like going deep behind the scenes we went to a couple there was one in tamworth and basically they take the real to real things you pass them over they make their own master of that what what they were using at that time was probably aid that I'm not sure it's like except based thing and they would make sure side a is as long as side b and you know sort the gaps out and then they would tell you what color cassette do you want what color is labeled you want how many units do you want and then they would put them all together so they would you know print the sleeves and then they would give it you a fixed cost per unit but we weren't doing that ourselves because there was record labels then um but i know because my dad was doing some stuff on the side like with bart and keith and where he was getting his own stuff duplicated so i know the duplication process from from that experience because we me and my older brother it's the little child labor thing going on in my house we were sat there <laughs> with hundreds of boxes hundreds of cassettes and putting them opening up putting the sleeves in we had no choice we had to do it the younger one got away with it he was a baby then 
But yeah, that's how I know. I mean, there's actually, uh, there was actually duplicators. Like they just had units and stuff. So they do that day and night, just run off copies of masters. And where did you used to sell sell them at that time? Was it, you were involved in a shop at some stage? Yeah, my dad was, he had access to the gold dollars because he used to keep them there. So every gold dollar had a store, if you remember. Yeah. I think we still do. So that was a direct point of sale. And Baki, um, for that stuff, again, that wasn't his own releases. That was just like some other stuff. Like, yeah. um, that was just put it in your shop or just give it out to whoever wants it. Most of it, he did it on a charity basis, just like Parchar to get the word out, to yeah. uh, send a positive message out. Uh, but with his ones, that was handled by the company. They used to go around. I think the companies used to give it to distributors, main distributors, like Oracle Store Agencies and Mosley Road in Birmingham. That was another example. They used to have a movie box as well, obviously, when they were at Coventry Road. Yeah. Um, and then all, all the guys with the local shops, like the smaller shops, like us in Derby, we would travel to Birmingham and go in there and back room, pick up what you want, just fill up boxes, um, and that's it, take, away, take it away. And just to give you an example, the, the kind of output we were talking about, he does Cool and Deadly, when that came out, uh, we used to get they used to come in boxes of 100 sealed cassettes. We must have sold three to 400 in one shot in Derby. Um, and it was £3.50. So it was the first time they raised the price up. People were mm. moaning, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> the quality was something else. Uh, but that's one shot of three or four in Derby. So you can imagine what towns yeah, like Birmingham. The, the units must be great. I mean, that, even that whole experience of going into a shop, I remember like, when you used to go and get a, get a, get a, get a tape, for example, you might get the owner. He might they might play it. They might then yeah. say, forward it to the, this song and say what that song. And you used to go through that whole experience of it as well because that yeah. that feeling. Mind it, it, mind it was its own experience because yeah. we have regular people coming into shop. And what's out this week? Oh, it's this, this, and this. Play a bit of that then. This is play. Oh, I like it. Don't like it. It was like a very personal experience. Mm. Not you're vibing with a person. Or you're with several people if there's more people in the shop. Um, you're putting posters on the window. People are seeing posters thinking, oh, that's out. And they used to come running down, oh, that's not out. We used to have people giving us their money in advance. Oh, can you send me a copy? Make sure I want it. What day it comes out, give me a call. I'll come pick it up. That buzz, that hype, it was a very sociable thing. There was more, you know, people were interacting with people uh, to get hold of the music. And um, so you used to obviously run a shop there in Derby, right? Yeah, and then, yeah. And then, what was it called? Just for just for a point Pear, of reference. Pear Music Centre on Pear Tree Road. And, uh, and did Pear you Nine. did you used to have like exclusive listening sessions where you used to get it? You might get it a little bit earlier yeah. with your mates or anything like that. Our listening sessions were started in the morning and ended at night. We had two <laughs> giant speakers by the door. And we used to open the door and just blast it out. And people used to drive past in the car. We even had people drive past, come back. Oh, what song is that you're playing? Oh, give me that cassette. So, because we were of that age, me and my older brother, we was like, hardly got to win it. <laughs> we were just chilling all day long. Yeah, my 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 sort of cassette shop uh, education is just literally kind of saw road like Roma. Yeah, uh, we used to go there to buy as well. They were wholesale. yeah. I mean, Gachan Mal used to have his his studio on Mervyn Road, just off Rookery, and he used to have oh, a little Rookery Road. Yeah, yeah, he used yeah. to have his cassette shop in there. Opera uh, budget. He used to have it in Opera Video. He used to have his, yeah. his a cassette shop there that he had OSA. Yeah. 
Yeah. All the way down, DTF, Jason's used to have a... Jason's, that was a big yeah. one. And the later on, like MV, they, they had their, their bit. Um, there was a couple of smaller ones that used to be on uh, Rookie Road towards the top and past the school, past Bimbi Narki, Godora. And uh, they, they used to be a little small. I think Amritsar used to be used to be kind of affiliated to that one. Right. Um, it's about a mad collection. So in my my knowledge of anything outside of Birmingham one and set shops is it? Is so like you, you got you you were in what was the central one of the central towns for the the culture and the vibe. Mm. So yeah, it was scaled down in other towns, but every town had one. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not one. They had several shops. Like everybody had their go to. Some people would go for their grocery shopping and get a cassette because they used to have it in the same shop, right? Yeah, spoiled, yeah. man. Yeah, Ooh, so spoiled. it was like, you know, Apre Bande, Jack of all trades, man. Sudalelo, Sravalelo, Midalelo, Rilalelo. Yeah, and then what, and then how write a film, like, you know, a version of Blockbuster. Yeah, I write a film, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Desi Blockbuster. Yeah, yeah. So, your, your next stage then now, so you've kind of, um, you've been around with the 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 great Buddy Monic, and you're venturing yeah. your 17, 18, venturing on your own solos bit at that point. Yeah, so it was more like again we was just restricted to the Dalmuk scene, and that carried on until we emigrated, uh, sold the shop, emigrated to Canada in ninety four July, and the plan was to move there permanently, live there, and that was my dad's plan because he'd gone to a wedding, his niece's wedding, a couple of years before that. And he saw the place and he was like, oh, this is heaven on earth. Because <laughs> Canada, everything was bigger and cleaner and people had these 100-inch TVs that we was like, what, what is this? What planet is this? Mm. Um, so from then, he was like, it's a move on. So uh, we, was, we was dragged over, kicking and screaming, I'll be honest with you, because we left a, a very good vibe, all our friends, we see them every day. And you know, in them days, Lucky has done this here in Canada. So I've been even with point one Bonagi down up in there. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's pretty much like that here now. Yeah, yeah, no, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, we had to book this about four weeks in advance. Mate, <laughs> <laughs> it's on WhatsApp now. You can't give anyone a knock. You're going to be like, hey, we'll see if you can again. It's, so it's, not, you it's that bad. It, I'm not saying it's that bad. It's that. It's that technical that like you share your live location as you're getting closer to the yeah. place that way, just so you give enough time. That's right. So everyone's got a chance to prep and they give you dirty funny looks if you just just knock on someone's door. It's like, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so Canada, when we went there, so we kind of, me and my older brother, we kind of got a bit depressed, to be honest with you, because what I'm saying to you is we left that much of Oric, right? And we landed in a country where we didn't really know anybody. And that's one point. But um, when you look at Toronto side and you look at the summer, it's beautiful, nice, everybody's out and about. If you look at the winter, uh, nobody looked at the winter when we decided to move over. It's like minus 18, minus 20 degrees, man. Snow, it's not on the MDC. And it was like, you're locked in. And so we was like, my dad had connects with the Dillon video in Toronto. And he used to hang out there quite a bit. And he was friends with him. And, and the little video, the uncle there, he was like, to see remix, bro, America, Because he knew, like, we could do something musically. Uh, so I was just looking in his shop and I was like, okay, how do we even do it? We can't afford studios and that. how are we going to even do this? He goes, they don't this. I don't know, you can hire anything. I was like, okay, that's new. Because even to this day, you can't just 
go into a shop and hire A to Z of music equipment in the UK, but you can over there. Um, so there's longer McQuaid, this place where you can hire stuff from. So it was like, okay, let's work this out now. Uh, we actually got a project to do. So uh, me and my older brother, we kind of got more interested. We was like, okay, let's see what we can do. At that point, when we landed there, we looked in the counter, we was like, oh, what's all this? They had a whole section of cassettes we'd never seen before. And it was uh, the Canadian remix scene. And at that point in time, again, pre-social media, we were just like, we've discovered a, like a kid in a candy store. Yo, people are remixing everything here. We've never seen any of these in the UK, but they sound really good. Because, like, remember the folk stuff from Punjab back then didn't have a lot of bass or anything in it. Mm. So in those early days, can you imagine hearing your favourite R&B or hip-hop song with your favourite Punjabi song? It was almost unimaginable. Yeah. It's like Charles play. It's kind of hard to explain to someone today how not having that and then hearing it for the first time somewhere feels. It's like, you know, it kind of blows your mind. How did that song get mixed in that song? And then I saw Jimmy Kidla's Revenge, uh, which was by DJ Sunshine. And I saw it and I was like, okay, I want to check this out. This looks really good. And just the name, man, Jimmy Kidla's Revenge, it was like, oh, this sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so I listened to that. And that Is that was, where you got Mikey Monic from? Yeah. That was the one. Um, I'll forever give him uh, DJ Sunshine credit for that. He inspired me to because uh, I saw that and I was like, all right, I want to be the first person to do a Khalid Monarch remix album. Um, and then that when 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 I made that plan, uh, so I was digging around in his box. He had these massive boxes at the back, you know, cassettes that are discarded. Okay, these are going in the skip. And I pulled out this cassette and in Punjabi it just said upside down writing, Khalid Malik live. I was like, okay. So I listened to it and it was literally the recording of a live show. And it had the heat, the part one and part two and all that in it. And I was like, just this thing came into my head, right? I'm going to remix this. I want to make my tapes sound like a live show. And I don't know where the idea came from. It was just, at that age, you know how it's like all this time, the pressure's building up, somebody's holding you back. All of a sudden, floodgates open, the ideas were going crazy. So I was like, not only are you going to do a remix, I'm going to remix live stuff. So I took his live stuff without computers, time stretching it, matching it. I can't even explain the process here. It's very technical and it, it spins your head thinking about how did they manage to do that without anything. But somehow it worked out. And again, I was playing other instruments then. So I played my own double on it, own dolky on it, own pieces, own drums off the keyboards. Um, and I had one small cassette-based eight-track, multi-track tape recorder, uh, Tascam, it was called. And it was like, I've got, you know, I said we used to have 16 channels. We had six on this. So... My Imanic was made on the six channel <laughs> without any samples, without any internet, without the use of any studios, sat in the bedroom playing a dolky, recording it in, playing the double R, recording it in. Okay, I've got dolky and double R, let me merge them onto track three. And then I've got one and two, three again, doing crazy stuff. My little brother was young watching cartoons, he used to put a tape deck there. 
plug this into the TV, record all the cartoons, Simpsons, everything, but let's take little samples out of there. We used to go through 90 minutes of recording directly off the TV, looking for snippets to find to put in your remixes. That myth was off the chart crazy compared to how easy it is now. But that was the only way we knew, and we were happy to do it, man. Masida get in more calmly. So my Imarik was a combination of uh, some of the actual songs, but a lot of it was live. And then we used the skits as well, you know, the jokes and things. So I tried to put everything I could, all my energy into that one, thinking this might be the only one, right? Dad might turn around and say, right, he said, oh, you can't put your name on it. So we made a name up called The Door Company uh, and just made a little logo. Everything was homemade, man, everything. And uh, I, I, I still got a vision of where the first time I went, like where I used to keep that cassette. Yeah. You know, I used to have it in the... You know, everybody used to have the old Desi Hi-Fi. They used to have a Hi-Fi. Yeah. You had this cabinet and then the side, the fold out, there used to be like wooden ones and it always used to be cassettes in there. Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing that. Like, I remember holding it going, this is it, man. This is the, <laughs> this is, this is the one. This is the one. But yeah. how many units do you reckon you sold of that? Mate, I could only guess. I have no idea because it made its way over here and the people who put it out over there didn't even know that it made its way over here. Oh, really? They didn't know. They had no idea. So people were bringing them over in their dead tees, right? And then duplicating them here and putting them out on Broadway South or the Sower Road on, you know, outside the shops. They used to have the factory, yeah? They used to be selling... Oh, I bought a scam. You could have bought a scam. You could have... Where did you buy it from? You could have been... A, like I, The originals were in North America. I do know that. They were the originals. So everything that came over here was, was just taken off one of them and just, again... They've, they've gone through the duplication process and put it out here too. But the guys over there had no idea. There's either, I'm just thinking about it, it would have been either two shops on Saw Road or one on Rookery Road, which okay. was like a, another, like, it wasn't a very pop, it was a, almost a video shop. It was a, more of a video shop than, than anything else. Yeah, in terms of numbers, I know about Case of Base 3 because the guy who released that did tell me that he sold in the region of 90,000 cassettes and about 11,000 CDs because CDs were new then. That is crackers. Uh, and it just blew my mind. And I thought he was underestimating it because he was like, Mate, you know, he's going to ask me. Case he, he was like, <laughs> he's like, I ain't paying anymore, but yeah, I sold this penny. But yeah, That's that mad. was then. That was then. And that was North America, by the way. So then, uh, did you ever get the, did you ever get the, because I only found I only find that relatively recently, I would say probably in the last 10 years that you like you were behind you yeah. it was you. Was there any stage at what at one point where you were saying to people, it's me, it's me, I've done it all? Um, people wanted to book the dog. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Company to do daytimers. Um, and we weren't allowed to do them, right? So I heard other people were impersonating us and taking the gigs. Oh, shit. <laughs> it was on that level, man. I was like, damn, man, I would have loved it. Did you ever confront him? Did you ever go up to myself? I didn't even know who it was. We weren't, we weren't even meant to go in the same places, you know what I mean? So I was like, okay, we've started something off here. Because uh, when I did three, because by the time we did the third case of base, we'd already decided, Dan had decided we're moving back to the UK. So on the cover, I wrote over and out. What that basically meant was we're done now, finished, series over. Somebody else made four, five, six, seven. Got I think you got into double figures. Because yeah, because there was a complete, there was a difference. You just yeah, it was, was it was totally it was, different, wasn't it? It was the pirates robbing the pirates. It was just oh a They didn't even change the cover. They changed the color of the writing, and on every cover it said includes the mega hit for Jadani, which was only on three. Um, so they did a lazy job of the sequels. But it was out of our hands then. We just did one, two, and three and just let, let Did you ever get the feeling? Because obviously you got a relationship with the, at the time with Gulli Marnik. Like, did you think that there was a chance that you could actually do something fresh with him? I would never thought that for a head, man. Never really did. Um, looking at it in hindsight, what a great opportunity that would have been. Absolutely. But it was like, by the time we moved to Canada, I think that relationship was not, sort of as fresh like he was still doing his UK shows Canada shows but I think because we had totally gone from there it was just like almost like okay um, obviously my dad used to come in here and visit his house and everything but my dad stopped doing his own albums in Canada too so it was almost like a change of scene for all of us so I never I mean to do that would have been like well obviously phenomenal right uh, but to do that would have meant, oh, you've got to come out as yourself, as a producer, and and do an original album, Khalid Marek. I don't think I would have been allowed to, to be honest with you. Um, so you, you can't really have that as a little bit of a regret because there was already parameters that you couldn't do that. Yeah. Is that the same with a lot of other artists as well, even now? Like, any regrets of not working with a few? Not really, man. Life's, like everyone says, again, it's so cliche, life's too short to have regrets. Look, point to say is any energy you spend thinking backwards stops you going forwards so I, I've changed I mean there was a few years where I was like having a lot of regrets and stuff but then sooner or later you realize that's such a waste of energy sitting there thinking about oh it doesn't help anything it's just like well take that same bit of energy you just spent thinking about that and apply it forward so I started changing my mindset, like when I see, it was meant to be a certain way. That's the story of people's lives. Everyone has minds. It's not being a straight one. It's not being straight and narrow. Oh, music was in the family. I jumped into a Quran team or I went straight into a band. None of that happened for me. Um, it happened in some weird roundabout kind of detourish type ways. Mm. 
And coming back to the UK, I was gone again, off the scene, completely gone. There was no door company left. Mm. I was like, we're back in the UK now, just pretend it never happened. It was almost like a dreamlike state. Um, that was a different life. We were doing that just because we were allowed to. And, we, and that scene wasn't here. So the underground remix scene was only in Canada. So when I came back here, I had no focus, no intention of going back into music. Yeah. We used to have a bit of software because by then again, things changed so much. I bought the software and I just couldn't get my head around it. I thought, I'll allow this. My little brother was messing about on it. Did a couple of underground remixes. Did a couple of bit of DJing at daytimers. I used to do that first before we left. Well, I used to organize mm. our own daytimers in Derby. And that was a secret life too. We used to take the vinyls out of the shop here. Yeah, <laughs> without your dad knowing. Yeah, without him knowing. <laughs> <laughs> two days before, smuggle them in a mate's car. We used to sit in his car for two days because everyone knew Friday, Friday on the air, right? So we weren't going to do that bait thing and do it on a Friday. On a Wednesday, yeah, at night, mate used to come around, used to put the vinyls in. And then on Friday, he used to bring them down to the club at daytime, middle of the day, 12 to 5 p.m. And all the week, so we used to do our own daytime. So it was, is that buzzing? It? So it you know, when you're a music head, you've got to hear mm-hmm. it on a big system. Um, I was speaking to other people about this as well. It's like, you know, everyone's on about the nighttime gigs back in the days. Everyone went for different reasons. We're cup, born again, I see some yeah. people going to chat up girls. I was like, it was just simply get a Pepsi or a Coke, stand on the balcony and focus and watch the band and see how they perform and how they play. And I remember, you know, seeing bands like the Sohotas and being mesmerised. I was like, yo, man. And just don't care about anything else. Don't care about no cup, no, 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 no nothing. It was there for your, to feed your soul. It was almost like yeah. a direct thing where you're just in tune with what's going on on the stage. You don't I'm, really... I remember an ISIS gig um, in Nottingham when I was at uni there. Yeah. And it, it was like a, a wicked lineup. So, like, DCS came on first and, it, and they smashed it, yeah. yeah. And then the uh, Soholters came on after. Yeah. And it was it, it, like, you could just, it was one of the first times you actually just stop and you just watch them. Yeah. And it was like, because there was always the rumors like they charge four grand back in the day just for the sound and it just for the sound up there because their sound is so different. And it like, oh, it could have been complete nonsense in it. But I think it was true. Yeah. And you just knew that there were just different levels in terms of how bands were performing. It was something from top to bottom for me, the sound quality, the the riffs they were playing, the melodies that Serge was singing, the double R sound, everything was like, this is just, it's almost like, this is not of this world. Everyone else is doing one thing, then these guys come along and we're doing this. And it just, it was a brand within itself. It was almost a league within itself. And it's, but you get that as you get older as well now. Like I, I like I was just saying, like um, I've said it a few times on the podcast. Where now you've got so much choice in terms. Of, if you don't like that sound, just carry on listening to this and it. And and I think it's got, I think it's gone to the extreme where there's all the latest music now has very little kind of any Indian instruments at all. And I've been yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, and it's getting harder and harder to find some of your <laughs> the music that you kind of like. It's weird because um, those early 80s, late 70s, Azad group was one of the earliest using saxophones, using clarinets and stuff. They were doing it not by choice. They were doing it because they had no Indian instruments, right? Yeah. So they were improvising. They're playing Indian riffs on English instruments. And all that. So they were like, as soon as Indian instruments came, it was like, Lord Rilagi, 
here, let's play, make Punjabi music with Punjabi instruments now. Now they're being abandoned by choice. So people are like, it's, it's funny because we, we had uh, genres within genres. We had, in Punjabi music, we had folk, we had, you know, Khalid Malik Sindhah, and, so, and then later on, Sabu, Manamon Wallis, and Pajaman, which was kind of bass like, like I mentioned before, but really sick tracks, melody and everything. Now, if you look at the UK Bangla scene, so many cover versions used to come out. So we were heavily influenced by those artists because without them, UK Bangla wouldn't have any material to sing. As a lot of the songs were being made by the India guys, but they had their own interpretation. So they were using modern music, modern methods of recording music, the stuff we like listening to as a person born and brought up in the UK. You want bass, you want this and that, you want to hear exciting instruments. Um, it was almost like, so we had that, we had that. Then we had our Bollywood fix. Like, it's a guilty pleasure now. Now people don't look at but my, I don't listen to Bollywood now, but in the 90s, mate. Yeah, everyone was kicking it. Those, mate, they were killing it. We used to sell so many of them. The same guys that bought, you know, the DCS, the healer, were the same guys that bought that. <laughs> put put a Bindrakiya tape on top of it and then get, like, down yeah. underneath it, you know, like... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so basically they had their time of the day or you know when when they were with their girlfriends or oh, we'll put the lads we'll put this stuff on you know? yeah put them on the side tray and underneath the, in so, the car and it just on the on the side yeah exactly. i got yeah so genres within genres it wasn't just blanket this is a Punjabi song there was subgenre. We, i even had people who used to listen to Pongra and then used to buy guzzles tapes as well I mean, Lucifer the Ali Khan, he was on a mission. We had over 100 volumes of his at that point in time, 100 different cassettes, really spiraled to star agencies. A lot of people were on that vibe as well. So, do you still have stock of a lot of this stuff? We don't. I mean, we, we left the country, so we kind of just got given away and abandoned. But I think there's a lot of collectors out there, you know. And they're yeah. charging like some of the. I, I remember I bought Reflections again. I bought it, you know, like uh, suffering. At £25. Hey, somebody was selling my case of base CD, right, on eBay for 192 quid. That's what it sold for. I was like, damn, I should have saved some of these. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't even got one. <laughs> Imagine if you sold those actual recordings, you know, the, the, the actual machines that you're using at that yeah. time. We had, no, no. we had a metal tape. Do you remember the metal tapes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had one, yeah. But we used that because that was the finest quality you could get. It was really heavy TDK metal tape. And every time we made a remix album, we had to record over it again and again and again. Because they, five pounds is a lot of money back then. So, but you did this album, I'll tell you what I'm saying. But it was a vibe, it was a vibe, man. I mean, but, I'm, I'm, I'm kick you on again now. Yeah. So, where did your kind of route lead to? Oh, fair. I think England, I guess kind of stopped thinking about music for a few years, then uh, got in touch with, uh, I mean, I didn't really, it was my brother, he was hanging about with a uh, producer from Derby True School, um, who at that point, he just dropped Word Is Born. Um, my boy. When I listened to that, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is yeah. sick, man. <laughs> I was like, this is sick. It was a vibe. I used to drive up and down. I was still, I had a sub in the car, an Alpine system. Even after not producing, I've given up producing. Still a music head, still a music fan. 
like listen to Six Shinda Shinda and everybody else that was releasing at that time. And this came out then, somebody told me, oh, he's from Derby. So what? Like, okay, so then I found out who he was. I remember interacting with him years before because we're of a few years age difference. I'm a yeah. bit older than him. But I was like, that's good, man, because like we were so used to Birmingham and London doing the yeah, thing. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Okay, Derby's making a point now. And it's it was good to hear something refreshing at that point in time. In 2014, I'm not sure. I think this was the back end of the garage era. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it, I, and I, 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 I kind of, um, I think especially when JK's album came out, yeah, I was like, uh, he's like revived the whole scene. Yeah, that so kind so of that, music that I, I love. 2014, I meant 2004. That's when his word is born came out. But yeah, this he came back in. Every, it was cool to be back traditional again. And my brother, uh, younger brother, he was hanging out with Sook. And he sort of kept telling him, oh, you've got to get your brother back on the music, man. He made Marty Marley. That's inspired us to make this. So why is he not doing music? And why is he working in just a dumb factory job? You know what I mean? So he kept putting the pressure on. And uh, I was being very dismissive. I, by that point, I had a circle of maids, glassy, and Babajara. I didn't really care. I was like, no, I was stopped doing that. You know, when you get roadblocked for so long it just you just think okay i can't manage done in it i was just a bit deflated to be honest with you i never thought it'd be possible because again the methods of making music had changed and everything and then sooner or later he got his way he started sending vocals via my brother he started saying tell him to come around my house and then i was i was i was going around his house when uh the jaw was recording and good beers blood and stuff so i was sitting in with the sessions there and so we started piquing my interest a bit to say, oh, you know, even though this is an alien way of working, this is different to what I'm used to. Um, it's kind of good to be in touch with music again. Yeah. And by that time, dad had matured and changed and he, his mindset, you know, that whole, look, you can get flex. It just got to a point where he was like, look, man, I'll stop these guys doing what they were good at doing. Huh? So it's time to kind of chill on now. So kind of gradually find our way back into the scene and it's like okay let's go with a fresh start let's go with this couldn't think of a name so we just said chaos productions even though it really has no meaning uh, to us personally it was a name to name it took us like months to think of that and then 2009 that's what we've been running with and again my brother started taking a back seat uh, but for me it's, this is it it's like music I don't have a plan B this is all I know this is all I've been doing for the last 12 to 13 years full time. So. What would you say is uh, one of your, one of your, your uh, some of the artists that you work with highlights? Uh, highlights were well, undoubtedly uh, Daljeet's tour in 2016, but before that, Daljeet Brit Asia Music Awards in 13. Mm. Uh, when he's, that was his first performance in the UK. Um, and even though like I'm not a taught musician, to get on stage with him, and play mandolin and on me, um, next level guitar player and so next level harmonium um, to sit on the stage with these guys and then for him to do an acoustic set and then the place just went wild. Crazy. That, that was a crazy experience to sit there as part of that little unit and, and look at the response because that's what brought the tours in. Uh, it was like the, the prequel. It was like, look okay. like, yeah, I mean, look at it now, and you see that like, yeah. what he's just done in the Roger Center, yeah. And it's like that all kind of came, it was yeah. one aspect from you guys performing. It was born from that day, basically. Yeah, yeah. After Back to Basis came out, and then 
straight away after 13 Asian musicals, 14 was his first tour uh, because the demand just exploded and he just went on to a, a higher level and he's never looked back since. So that was our highlight. And, you know, interacting with uh, some Kalakar, sometimes you, as a music producer, you get to see good stuff, like you get to hang out with your, your favourites and you know, sometimes it backfires, man. And we'll be honest, there's, there's not always like, sometimes you think, oh, I wish I never met this guy. Because <laughs> the knowing their colour, you respect that, and then you meet the person and they, they're they not on that level. That really introduced me to the fact that these guys are not superstars in that per se. They're not superstars as people. They're superstars in their colour. And I started differentiating because it's easy now to put people on a pedestal to say, oh, he's a successful music artist, so that just makes him a hero in every dimension. But it doesn't, because they're flawed people too. As, yeah. as artists, we've got flaws as well. We've got insecurities. We've got, you know, money issues. We've got everything that any normal person would have. But people, sometimes they take it to another level that, oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I started seeing the difference. So I was learning my own lessons through watching other people thinking, well, that didn't go too well. Either you break <laughs> their heart or they break yours. Yeah. But it was it was good in one respect. And what happened was, you know, how the scene changed, it was more like, because well, the email the biz, then they vocal. So the interaction became less and less anyway. So it came more about um, just work on your own in isolation. Or you've got a couple of guys with you, you know, we take it to each other's studio, we just have a listen to each other's music and that. And that changed at the same time. So it wasn't, before that, it must have been you needed FaceTime with every single artist. Um, but it turned into something else. Obviously, this uh, Sarinder Shinda show we did just before COVID. Yeah. Uh, that was a nice experience to be on stage with somebody of his calibre. The guy who sang so many hit songs of folk Punjabi music still standing on that stage, man, so many years later. And we're there too. So there's been quite a lot of highlights putting out songs like Mundra, which with Sani Sarinder. Uh, which is one of our earliest releases. That for me was like I've told a lot of people that we've not released anything like as Chaos Productions, and they're like all confused and puzzled. What I mean is everything I've released has been subcontracted to me to say, can you do the music for this artist? And that's what we've ever done for over a decade. Uh, we've not put our own music out. So with that one, it was like this is if I was to do a track, this is how it would sound. Um, so again. That was a that was a highlight too. So there's been a lot of things, man. There's been a lot of things. I'm not going to remember all of them. Obviously, the last four years I've been out there with JK, um, and then yeah, you've been on, especially JK and that as well. Late, like, the yeah. the mileage that you guys have like kind yeah. of clocked up, especially him, <laughs> Zach is crazy. There's a lot of traveling, man. Always out and about, and now in the last two three years, I've got mm-hmm. D Sandu as well, and. Um, She's getting a hell of a lot of interest and we're busy, busy, busy. Just this week, four shows with D. She's like, you know, that whole setup, that again, you, it how did you How did you get introduced with D? That was a bit of a crazy story in itself, man. What happened there was I had no intention of managing an artist. I didn't even know what managing an artist meant. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't see myself as any kind of manager. I wouldn't tell anybody what to do. So I was like, I was a bit like, so, you know, you get extroverts and introverts. I was more on the introvert side. Uh, stay there quietly in the shadows. Uh, with her, it was in 2018, end of the year. 
I was feeling a bit low about the direction of music, thinking all these kids are here now with their live samples. And, you know, is this even a game that is there? I just want to ask, before I forget, because I just want to ask you that. That was one of the questions I wanted to, I forgot it and I remember now. Like, you're, you're a, a veteran musician in terms of you've worked on the art, the people around you. You mentioned that Sokers as well. Yeah. Um, masters of the of the uh, of, of music and and instruments and stuff, and you got this new generation of kind of the computer the computer programmers in terms of how you mentioned one like Spice yeah. or whatever whatever kind of software I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. Um, does that bother you? Um, there was a phase it did, and I just felt like this is too easy. Um, but then if you look around in society, everything's been simplified. You can do your shopping at three o'clock in the morning. Um, convenience is at the forefront of everything, right? And for ages, I was like, oh, this ain't right. You know, this is going to cheapen music now. I feel it has done to a certain degree as well, mm. because the, you know what people are saying, oh, the old songs were better. If you start dissecting that and trying to work out why, you know, the Sahotas, the way they sound on stage, they sound like that on the tape because it was them in the studio. And there was a seven, eight of them making a song. It wasn't just one person with a few loops. So that's why. I mean, if there's there's always a reason behind everything. Uh, so for me, I'm of the older generation who have to play things with your own hands and make it sound like, you know, you're, you're giving birth to something that never existed before, mm. rather than arranging things that already exist. That's the key difference here. Uh, so I class myself as like more of a composer, music director. So if we're doing a Dumbi piece, I'm going to compose it myself or a mandolin and then play it. And so that means it's come out of here, your own brain. It might be influenced by other things and it will be because you've listened to music for years. So sometimes there's similarities and sometimes it's intentional. But either way, it's your creation. Now, there's less creation and more arrangement now. So that did bother me initially, but I've come to the point where I don't look at it as um, it's not their fault per se. They're born in a generation with all these extra tools. Now, how can we sit there and expect them not to use them? Like if you've been given these extra tools and you say, oh, no, man, they say if you've got this, like an electric screwdriver, but no, you insist on using a manual one, people are going to think, oh, the microbial. Like this is the game it is now. Yes, it has changed and it's a shame as well because and when I'm talking about John going back to the studio, I couldn't work in that studio. But now you can get a 40-year-old kid that can work at studio. It's a different studio. It's a different setup. But again, it's the same in the video game. It's the same with many trades now, where everything is almost overly simplified to a degree where the level of skill needed to be involved in that has really come down. And that will change things. It's inevitable. So whereas it did bother me before, Hormes or did that be... Just carry on, man. Life's short, yeah. You know, everybody says it. Everybody says it, especially during and after COVID and with recent events. Life is short, of course it is. But we're going to sit there, like I kept saying to you before, bothering about other people. Only I got You're just chasing your tail. If I feel I can give more to the world by composing my own songs and taking five times longer producing them, then I should just carry on doing that. So was that you know that kind of that kind of attitude? Did that spur on to managing then Dish at that point? Um, with that, it was not. That just landed on my head basically, like a ton of bricks. 
so she messaged all of a sudden, and it was a, a barrage of messages. It wasn't just like one message and wait a couple of days. There was like a comment on a YouTube video. There was an email from me. Good, Sidhu got a message. Oh, I'm a singer. Da, da, da. I want to get in touch with Kels Productions. And Gerd rang me. He goes, who's this, bro? Well, bro, is it a stalker or something? I don't know, bro. It's like this. So I was like, okay, what is this kind of strange new thing going on? And again, at that point, I was on I was on a bit of a slope. And she was like, oh, I want to meet you about doing music. Uh, and I was like, okay. So first, I said, she goes, can I come to your studio? I thought, no. Because uh, my studio's at home, isn't it? It's just like the family thing. Yeah. So I go, listen, do me a favour. Uh, let's meet somewhere. So we met in Bullring in Birmingham. And then I got her backstory, which is quite similar to my, you know, growing up in a restricted household, not being allowed to sing. And now she wants to make a go of it and, you know, give it a year or two and see how it goes. I goes, Tika, but you, she goes, but you got to manage it. I goes, Yo, what do you mean manage? I make music. My, you give me what your song, I give you the music back, and then you go off and do what you want with it. That's how I work. No, no, she goes, no, no, I know we're going to work better like this. We're going to do the whole thing together. I was like, okay, she seems a bit overconfident because I wasn't like that. Like I said, it's the introvert versus extrovert. Yeah. She's got an extrovert vibe going on. And that's how this works, because she's the centre of, of the stage. So it works for her to be that confident to say, right, and there's me thinking, can we really do that? So in other words, you know, the opposite subtract situation happened, where I goes, okay, your career's in my hands, no pressure. I was like, just psyching myself up to say, how am I going to you know, deal with this? Because this has just come out of the blue. Um, and from then, we just, I got in the studio, I listened to her voice. I thought, you sound like, first I said, I'm more good than mine. Then I said, no, 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 you back back up, you sound like Jim Warnacle. And let's just start off by doing a little tribute, make it in the video on the iPhone, three tracks, little mashup, and then we'll put it on socials and see how it goes. And from then on, it just, it, we didn't look back, man. From then on, people looked at that and thought, oh, this is new for the UK scene, a female vocalist who's strong in the folk, um, has got a strong tone and is very good on screen as well. Uh, so if it, it, it just developed into something, whereas, you know, that exact video that I'm talking about, that video, we put it on her Twitter and her Twitter had 26 followers. It was brand new Twitter. We thought, so we put it on Twitter expecting nothing. I got a phone call a couple of days later. And this guy had this American accent said, oh, I want to book your artist to come out to California. I started thinking, yeah, mate, pull the other one, I goes, I goes, friend of yeah, yeah. I know some people who could do some very good accents. I thought somebody's pulling my leg in. <laughs> so we were talking on and off for a couple of weeks. And then I thought, yeah, I did tell her. And she was like, we'll see what happens. And then it just turns out that it was a booking. And off that, tribute video so we had released a song of that tribute video next thing you know we're on a plane going to Fresno to do his sister's wedding and lo and behold he was telling me oh we've got a good family friend he's you'll know who he is when I mention his name Ajazi Misada Kasia and I thought okay uh, so at that point I was like I don't know which way to take this guy I'm not sure what he's if he's blagging it or what so we land in Fresno we go to 
do our performance, Jazzy B. Haney, right? So, yeah, oh, he's busy, he's going to come to the Pranda uh, Andhikar, so you guys come, you're our guests. So we went to the Gurdwara Sahib, Kalpak Gurdwara Sahib, there's Jazzy B. First time I ever met him in my life. Wow. In California, man. And being involved in the music scene, like I said, in the Dharmic scene, and then brushing shoulders, all these years have passed. And one of the main artists of the industry, first time I meet him, is in that scenario, after doing a little tribute track to Jamal Cord with an artist who had released a song, we get booked in Cali, we go there, we're standing in the car park with Jazzy B. Karaman. I was like, damn. In that moment, I was like, this is God's way, man. This is, there's always a plan. Um, and then from there, we've never looked back. I've, I've been talking to these guys because it turns out that these guys, uh, Fresno guys, they manage his USA bookings too. Mm. Uh, Raj and Jay and Jimmy, three brothers. And now I just come back from the USA and was invited down to his Mapu uh, Farms. He had a jungle party there. So he did a Sidhu Musiala tribute as well. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like now, obviously before that, I've just released a track. The track with the Mirja the Yard. Yeah, again, it's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not expecting any of this. It just comes out of nowhere. Because I believe it or not, I've, you know, people will say, oh, you've got to have goals, you've got to have aspirations. I've just stumbled into everything. I never came into the scene thinking, I'm not going to this day, nobody can show me a message that I've sent to any singer or any other producer to say, please work with me, or, or sent my beats off to anybody to say, here's 10 beats, man. See, that's crazy. I was just thinking just like that because like you've got Diljeet took a punt with like Snappy yeah. when he was younger, then he then Sidhu with, with the kid. Mm. Um and like you you're kind of you were like you're primed and you're like with Dish and everything, and there's just all this kind of uh and then you've you've kind of earned your I know you're a big Jazzy B fan anyway, and you've you've earned it the right way and it's kind of work with them as yeah. well. That was the satisfaction you get. It came the right way. It came from earning, and it took many years, man. Uh, and again, he he's always giving that message out, never give up, chase your dreams, da, da, da. And it's almost like I've sort of lived through that myself. So um, it's took me to the stage now where things are very busy with Dish and JK and production, doing various bits. But now I'm like, I need to put some time aside and keep, saying about releasing my own stuff, my even if it's an EP. Then Charlie Garney, I've planned them already. I know what I'm doing with them. So that's my next sort of thing. Before I bow out because nothing lasts forever, I'm like, I have to give my own music. Which artists would you think that you'd want to do? I mean, the classics ones are like the, the high echelons with, I mean, obviously with the, I mean, we'll get to it in, in, a, in a short while, but like, Gorans, APs, the Jeets, and all the are those still kind of on your radar one day to do something? If it happened naturally, then yeah, why yeah. not? Again, it's not within me to go brand chasing. I just feel like that's not a guarantee to make a top track. Yes, it will have maximum exposure and from a business. You know what's happened over the years? Music and the business has sort of gone like that now. Yeah. So if you're a musician, you, you if you don't think like a businessman, um, but I still can't bring myself to just make it all about numbers. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I mean, networking, again, it wasn't even natural to us. 
is like you sort of tend to give people the respect they deserve when you see them. But if you're not networking, per se, you're not going to see them. Um, so I was in like studio to make a video, but now I have realized that along this uh, way, some things I should have done a little bit differently, which is at least own take ownership of your own work. At least people should know who you are, what you've done. It's not just telling people that much is not being big headed or, or egotistical. I think I had to learn that myself. Do you think that's the kind of advice that you like? You saw with like with Dish, like for example, a, a classic to do, thing to do with Dish is to have like a duet with with her. Would you pick do that with her? Like suggest that kind of thing or like? What kind of advice did you would you give out as well to like a new starter coming into the scene? I would definitely say try not to ride anyone's coattails, man. Because ultimately, the people that stand the test of time are all the ones that bring themselves into their music. So dig deep, man, inside you. Don't look at oh they're gonna challenge us. Let's make one of them now. Oh, let's make a trap song. Or oh, I Let's do this. Just dig deep, man, and bring your art out. It doesn't matter if people say it's relevant or it's out of date or whatnot. It really doesn't matter because things go in cycles. So I just feel like if you're gonna if you're gonna last in this industry, you have to uh, stand out, stand alone, basically. Who do, who do you feel is who's doing that in the UK and, and worldwide who get, gets your attention? I think everybody's got this influence coming from various places. Everybody has has a lot of uh, Punjabi singers that are influenced by the folk of, of the old Khalid Mara. But now, recently, there's a whole wave of people that have changed their musicality. Uh, and again, a lot of it does come from influence. A lot of it is, uh, it's like the compositions and stuff have changed in a, in a good way, because it sounds a lot more fresher now, rather than doing like 15 versions of one composition on different songs. For me, that's a big thing. Um, I just feel like everybody's there's nobody who intentionally makes a bad song. That's what I always say. Mm. If I don't like something, I'll just say it's not for me. It's not for me to go out and cuss that person's mid because everybody's worked hard on in in their own. Um, nobody sat in the studio to say I'm making a flop now. Main uh, mm. But whether it's gonna like there's a lot of songs I've made that I thought they would do good and they did it for various reasons, mm. not just music. It's like we've got to start thinking about the package. So now we're making a song. We started visualising it. How will this look on screen? Which is crazy if you think about it. But Do you think subconsciously, like, it's the fit, um, I did a little podcast just on my own, like, just thinking about the thoughts of, like, with Siddhu and everything, what's happened in the last couple of weeks. And then um, I released one that I recorded a, a few weeks earlier last week. And so this is really, like, the first time since everything's going on that I'm able to, kind of have a chat with somebody else really on this about you know if you re reflected over the last couple of weeks what kind of impact has that uh, had on you on yourself i just feel like for me people are really quick to take artists who have just got dreams man they're just normal people they've got dreams and they've got a special gift uh, and that could be people got all kinds of gifts it's not just music but when they're struggling, now Sidhu didn't come out with So High first. He had loads of songs before that. Um, he had a journey to get to that point. Um, and at that point in time, there's no support, there's no push, there's no like exposure or whatever. 
And when their artists struggle somehow, I know artists that have sold their cars to make music videos, right? When people do that level of uh, sacrifice and they, some of them get to a level, people, the public start taking ownership of them. And like, oh, you better think like me now because you're a big brand. You, I'll only be down with you if you think this about that issue and this about this issue. Whereas their core focus is entertainment. We just like I said again, I keep saying it. We're just flawed individuals, man. We're just normal people like everybody else. We ain't taking courses in politics or anything like that. Sometimes you're put on the spot, and nowadays there's this whole ravage about, you know, catching people out and getting a soundbite of them to ruin their careers. Now, any why are you talking about other stuff that's not relevant to that? That person is not there. I mean, if you go to somebody who makes extensions, you're not going to go and have a chat about hairdressing, are you? You know, their game is music. Talk to them about their game. We're, we, we are very quick to make these assumptions, especially with the big name artists, because they've got themselves to that point. Some, somewhere along the line, people think, oh, we got them there. You know, the arm looks, ego kicks in as well. Mm. It's all in God's hands, man. Everything is A to Z. So you should let them do what they come to this earth to do, which is entertain. They're there to put out, I mean, where's that brigade now? You know, the anti-gun brigade, or oh, this guy's corrupting our youth, he's promoting that. They're all gone, where are they gone? Everyone's a fan all of us. I know it sounds harsh for me to say so, but this is what I see. I see that. I see a lot of hypocrisy. I see a lot of people changing their minds so instantly about things. Mm. Um, and yet those opinions they hold, they can't be valued. If you can you change think, your mind just like think, that, it's you not think it's, it's one of the first times where people have actually actually listened? Because I've, I've spoke to a few people and they go, I wasn't really much of a fan of it, but then it's the first time I've actually listened to his, a lot of his songs and, and they are quite grown on me. And, and then it's almost you can see that I think maybe that, that little bit of backtracking has already started, and that new that that thinking is, is yeah. kicked in. Well, I mean, it's just I mean, there's no really right or wrong way for how people are discussing or how, what they're feeling. I think yeah, they're it's, it's, trying to feel it out. You know, I've spoken to a lot of my friends as well. You know, even myself, I couldn't sleep for a week properly. It was just yeah. it was constantly you wake yeah. up, and you know, people have had family members who died, and they're still yeah. you know people are still feeling it. It's, it's been a shock to to a lot of people. And, and for me, the biggest shock was to realise how, I mean, I knew he was big, but I didn't know he was that big. You know, levels, to have that level of realisation to see Burma Boy and Drake and you're like, damn, this guy could have took us so far. And point to say is, your point is correct. Some people might be backtracking now. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But also that just highlights the fact that it's really easy to dismiss something uh, just on popular opinion and just say, no, no, that's no good without looking into it. Now, when this happened, there's a lot of criticism on artists, oh, they're all jumping on the bandwagon and look at them now, blah, blah, blah. And I had to pull out a Facebook post I put out in 2018. Um, so the Museo I started in 17. and 18, I just wrote on my Facebook because we were having a discussion in, in 2018 about the Museo. Um, there was differences of opinions then. And 
again, for me, I just wrote simply simple Musa has changed the game. December eighteen. That's why I wrote on my Facebook and I went back to find it now because like not everybody's U turning. Like I'm not saying that doesn't mean we're great or we're knowledgeable or whatever. But sometimes it's good to just take that step back and say, it might not be for me, but I appreciate what you're doing in your field. Mm. Um, again, there's lessons in every experience, man, especially in negative experiences. They, they are, I mean, positive experiences are good. You won't learn as much from them as you would from something negative. And I think a lot of people have had an awakening, a lot of people. And I just hope that they remember that, you know, like when the next person, I mean, again, these people, they don't come around very often anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the other bit that you feel like we've been robbed, you know, like the yeah. one of our generation that they, we might not get another one in our lifetime. In that, You know and, what I mean? And a lot of us were sleeping on it. And yeah. I, I put myself in that category, to be fair. A lot of us. Musically, I was like, because we, we're from a background which we value vocals and singing and, and gaiki and stuff like that. So those kind of stuff, that hit me hard. Because for me, he was a gaika and a gaik, you know, like a mm. singer. But the way what's happened recently, the way this is just, it's just still going. You know? Too much, even on the, on socials, man, I said it before, like every other post, one in three posts is about him. It's just my algorithm that's on there, but like, I'm at a point where I go, I have to switch off, switch off. Man. Yeah. It's like, yeah. like now it's, it's sad, but like the parents have to, they put out a Facebook or they put a message out saying, look, can you only come to the house on Sundays? We need space to, to be yeah. like, it's just a, it's just a, it's just it's just sad. It's just an absolute sad situation. Absolutely, I've never seen it in my lifetime. Yeah. When it involves a music artist, and who knows if we'll see it again. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the guy changed the game. <laughs> Go back to what I said in 2018. He changed the game, yeah. and that, that the reverberations of that will continue. Yeah, I just feel like you know, carry on. I normally ask people in terms of, you know, is there any bandwagon that you want to jump on and jump off? I think you've done a, a, a really good job. <laughs> in the, in the last bit. Yeah, I think we answered that, man. Yeah, I yeah. just feel like, you know, you know, these quotes that we all put up, me included, I just feel like we should live them a little bit as well. You yeah. know, it's good Practice to... what we preach. Yeah, it's good to put posts up that you resonate with or but it's good to actually understand what it means to you as a person and what you can take away from it. I'm always looking for self-improvement now more than ever yeah. uh, because it's more important than ever because the world has become a very small, uh, hostile place. Yeah. And, you know, everyone's being given these weapons, these little smartphones that we can do this and that and the other one. And I see them as weapons. We can fire, fire words at people, yeah. not caring about the consequences. I just feel like, you know, compassion goes a long way. Yeah. a little bit and I'm just it, it, I just hope it just you know improves things and what else can you hope for man you're going to try and leave on a positive note as well man with, with what yeah. you just said in terms of what does the next sort of 6 to 12 months look like for you um, apart from you know, an active wedding circuit yeah wedding circuit <laughs> but yeah I'm trying to get some that you know I was talking about doing my own EP yeah. I'm trying to get that done this year um I know what I'm doing with it. It's just a matter of getting the time to do it. Uh, again, I've chose the EP route because it's easier to hit the four song mark than it is to double that and go eight song. There's no other reason. Right now, whether you release an album, EP or a single, they have the same time frame of Shelf people's attention. 
which is an, an unfortunate side effect of, again, technology, where we have to work with what we've got. So hopefully this year I'll be putting that out and putting stuff out with Dish and just do more production, just getting on with, you know, whatever I've got left in the tank, just leave leave it out there for people to enjoy because, again, it's brought me a lot of pleasure. It's a lot of people I've connected with that I wouldn't have connected with any, any other way. You mentioned it a couple of times just then, you know, about like tank and like how long you got. Like, is it have you got an exit plan or when you think how long you got left in the game? No, not really. But now, you know what it is? God's driving my good demon. Whenever he says you're done, you're done. I thought I was done in 2018. I actually did. I actually made a phone call to Silk and I said, finished my music's done. And then he sent Dish my way and it just carried on. So, Jura became that. You know how it goes. Um, just whatever's, it, whatever's mapped out for us, just do the best you can do. It's all about, I've been looking at things on a spiritual level. It's all about the acceptance, the hook and part of things as well. Yeah. I've been looking into that and it's like, yeah, absolutely, we need plans. We need to have focus. We need to have goals. But, you know, don't forget the. Uh, we are we have you know what we're doing we're doing the best we think is best for us and sometimes that isn't and it just aligns itself and realizes itself so just keep going man yeah. um, while I've got like while I'm making music that people are liking I'm gonna keep making it that's my immediate plan I'm off. Been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it today, man. We had a really we had like a good, good chat. And um, yeah. anything that you ever want to kind of push, support, anything you need, this is open to you, man. And uh, always appreciated. You know, whenever you we've met, you always made time, and we had uh, you know always had good deep combos and yeah. good to kind of get this on on record as well. Nah, God bless, man. Again, appreciate you having me on, man. And it's been good. I listen to your stuff all the time, anyway. Oh, wicked. Someone does. <laughs> <laughs> all right safe man Thanks, god bro. bless man take care When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.